to Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. Well, you spent all my money too much. I have to share your honey too much. When I want some love and you're gone, don't you know you're treating your daddy wrong? Now you got me started, don't you leave me broken hearted, cause I love you too much. Wow. Too much. That is DM Dave, the rock and roll DM. I'm impressed. Singing. I don't know what you were Elvis saying. Elvis Presley. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was trying not to go too hard into a impersonation, but yeah, straight up Elvis, baby. Is that Elvis? Yeah, Absolutely. too much. One of his number one hits. Oh, my grandmother would kill me. She was a huge Elvis fan. Oh, great tune, too. It was a real rocking number. <laughs> and today we are talking about... It was about... no jailhouse rock, guys. I mean... Well, I... you know, yeah. That was a great movie. His first four movies were excellent. I the haven't end. seen any of them. <laughs> Uh, so uh, here we go. Let's go far afield real quick. Uh, if you're going to watch any of them, watch King Creole. Because that King was Creole? King Creole. That was actually originally a movie that was going to go to James Dean. Elvis got the part. Uh, they put a little bit more music into it, yada, yada. But it is still very much a it has a lot of drama in it. Walter Matthau is in it. Uh, so. And Elvis is really putting on his acting chops. He was a big Patrick game. Stewart's hey. in it, I believe. I mean, he was. I don't guy. think Patrick Stewart <laughs> is in it. I think it's a little early for Sir Patrick. Um, no, it's not out. too early for him. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he was like forty. <laughs> All right, and today we are talking about too much, although maybe a little bit of a different kind of too yeah. much, because yeah. we are dealing with a listener question from Jedi Shocker. Welcome back. Uh, in- Jedi Shocker. I just assume this is a force a good... lightning thing, right? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about force lightning. Some uh, listeners get a, a a full intro because awesome names, you know? So. <laughs> and Jedi Shacker's got a problem that we've actually had quite a lot, and it's this. I've been gaming with a larger party, currently six to seven right now, and three more people are waiting to play. I think that is too many people for a regular game. How would you try to split this up into two smaller parties that will play in alternating sessions? I think it can work with what I have because they are members of a guild, so we could possibly have crossovers. Um, and, you know, uh, I got to say, you know, going from six to seven to nine to ten, that is hard to fit into a group. What do you guys think? Is that, I mean, just let's deal with it from the, from, from the beginning. You know, Jedi Shocker says it's too much. Do we agree with him? Can you pull this off? And in what games can you pull this off? The absolute biggest party size I ever had was eight. And I have to tell you, that was indeed like having a party. That, I mean... <laughs> Really, there's so much going on. And we talk about, especially if you're on Roll20, if, you know, you're not paying attention to everybody and other players are getting swept under the table with eight people, you really have to almost keep yourself rolling in the initiative order. But like, okay, you, what are you doing? Stop. What are you doing? Okay, go. What are you doing? It's that it's tough. I would do not advise 10. Tone, was that uh, was that a 5e game with the eight? No, that was, that was a uh, first edition game. First edition, yeah. So um, I think that's even a little different because I've run eight people in a 5e game. And yeah, that's, it's, 
Uh, yeah, like when you talk about it's a party, that's that's all it is. I mean, you you know, you're not going to get a lot done. You might have a lot of fun the night, but you know, as Tony says, you're not going to probably move the football too much. <laughs> so I've definitely played with seven or eight. Uh, I might have even gone a little over it before, but I'm going to come down on, on the same side here. So. I, when I run really big groups, the biggest group we've run in 5e is Woodstock Wanderers has, I believe, six right now, maybe seven. Um, um, yeah, seven, I think, isn't seven. it? Seven. Right. And that's a big group. And that's a fifth edition game in the fifth edition rule set. It's not bad at all, but it does slow down as you add players. So in fifth edition, I feel like at seven, we definitely see some strain on the amount of time it takes to get around the table. Four or five is probably ideal. Six is pushing it. Seven, we're right at the limit. I, I've i already had a person who I who I was interested in bringing in, and I'm like, I can't go to eight because it's just going to slow down too much in fifth edition. Oh, my God. Now, I've done eight, nine in second edition. Second edition was a much faster, lighter game, faster rule set. And, and when people ask why is that, it has a lot to do with how much calculation do you have to do on the fly. Second edition, the way we played it, we didn't play with miniatures. We played theater of the mind. And that kept things moving a lot faster. People aren't trying to cut corners. They're not trying to figure out how do I get the most people in my fireball. It's just I just do this thing and I move on. Now, it still did become like a party. And what we mean, what I mean by when I say like a party is, all right, you're dealing with these three people over here. And now these two people are talking. Someone's in the kitchen getting a snack. Like it's even in, even with a lighter, faster rule set, like first edition and second edition, it still does become hard to keep everyone's attention to make sure they all know what's going on. And you definitely had like two or three players who were kind of the, kind of the wallflowers of the group, you know? So, so, so even with not everyone fighting for all the spotlight it still slowed down. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna also say seven's about your limit, and seven is pushing it, uh, especially in modern modern art in in, in fifth edition D and D, which tends to be a, a little little slower system. Yeah, I would Tony, if I could just jump in real quick to talk about the first edition stuff, uh, because I was actually just recently talking with Scott, uh, so has been or Adelard, as the <laughs> listeners might know him. Adelard, um, has been is now... has been is a has-been. The yeah. great crafter uh, of things. That? Mm. But yeah, Scott was talking because he used to run... Uh, he used to run the old white box stuff back in college. And um, I remember in the rule books, it literally says for like uh, five to 50 players, you know? And <laughs> it, really? it does in the original... Oh, the Hoobers. Yeah, in the original <laughs> ones, it's like, this is a game for five to 50 players, you know? And, uh, and he said he run, I think he said 22 or 25 he ran uh, for wow. an adventure or several adventures. But again, way different. Like he was talking about how like, you know, they would have six, seven, eight characters because they were just getting, they'd walk in a room and they're dead. Right. It was so it was just a different oh, mindset. Good old days. So so very different in that way, comparative to what we're talking about here with 5e. So don't. There are two dynamics that are really in play. The first, of course, everybody springs to mind is combat. So can I run a combat with eight, nine, ten players? Mm. It. I personally loathe a combat where I am waiting 20 minutes to get back to my turn. Because, you know, especially you've got seven, eight players. They're all summoning monsters. They've got their pets. They've got their hench people. And then more monsters drag on the table. And, you know, I'm over here making a pot of coffee, kind of look at my monitor. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, I'm at least six people away from my turn. I'm good. Let me change my filter. You know, 
that that is that it's very difficult to maintain the tension in a combat if that is the bandwidth strain you're looking at. And secondly, the biggest, uh, big, equally uh, large concern is when you have seven, eight, nine, ten players, how are they each going to reach their own character goals? Mm. You mean really? Yeah. If one person wants to do something this week. Tough crackers, because four want to do this. And four want to do that, and three are talking. So what about you? Uh, you're really the odd person out there. Mm. You know, yeah. when I've had big parties like that, only a few players. I mean, well, I mean, the party where we had like our like uh, Alhazred and the werewolf character, and the guy who became the the avatar of Moradin. It's interesting because that was a big group. That's that was one of the biggest. At one point, that was like a eight person group, and we did hit some of the characters' personal stories. But characters who didn't really have a strong personal story, I kind of put on the back burner. You know, like some people were and, and, and maybe I never heard anyone say I was playing favorites in it, but maybe I was a little bit because, you know, some people were more, you know, some people had a backstory and other people were just kind of along for the ride a little bit. Mm. Um, so but, you know, you had several of the characters did have personal stories, but not really everyone got them. The caveat being some of the people who didn't, I don't think really mind it. The other thing I throw out there as far as running combat, if you're running more than about if you're running more than six people in a combat, you know, you are no longer recapping at the beginning of the turn. You are now recapping what's going on for each individual player, because what that turns into is to, to make sure everyone knows what's going on. As you come to player A and you say, OK, you've got three orcs facing you and there's and there's archers behind them and somewhere there's an orc shaman throwing fireballs. What do you do? The three orcs are right on top of you. Well, I hit an orc. Great. Roll me some dice. You hit the orc. Moving on. You, here's your situation. Like you're giving a tactical. If you're doing that theater of the mind with a lot of players, you're giving a tactical situation every time a new player's turn comes up. That can, it's not a terrible exercise because you get good at maintaining that all in your head, but it does slow the game down a little bit, you know, even as you're trying to rush it a little. And it also takes a little bit of the player, you know, you're not letting the players go, oh, well, I think I want to do this cool thing. It's more like, boom, react, go. You know, it's like a real fight Thor, I would say it's similar to that because I think the next biggest group we have is Strahd. We have six players in yeah. Strahd. I think that's actually we're pushing the, the limits on it uh, with that with six, but it's six it's six good players. It's a it's a good group generally that works well together um, for the most part. Um, sometimes people get lost in it, but even in combat, like that's one of the things I try to do. And we've talked about it in terms of immersing people in the story and and rising raising the tension is you're recapping to create that level of cinematic, oh my God, all this stuff is happening. Okay, well, you're, you know, Phineas just ran over here and did this Eldritch Blast and you see Fenris is dropped down on the floor and Sir Scar, what are you doing as this giant faces, whatever. And you're doing that recap also to create that level of tension. But yeah, when you're now 12 deep, that's a lot, right? And you're yeah. trying to keep, the, keep that tension going. And then I got poor Tony here with Hawk where he comes up and he goes, I hit him twice. I'm going to go get a drink. <laughs> well, it is because you wind up and what winds up happening is the turn takes so long to come around that it does become each individual player just playing their turn rather than everyone paying attention to the entire thing. Right. You can't keep everyone's scope. attention through yeah. a combat that big. You have to do it individually. And when it comes to the turn, they react and then they kind of they take some time. And Tony's right. That can get beat. You know, I mean, I'll tell you, in Cursor Stride, normally, you know, if I'm not, if 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 if, I, if I'm fully in it, I'm not exhausted due to other situations. I usually know exactly. What, I, I've usually picked out what I want Phineas to do th four or five turns. Bless before it gets your to him, heart. And I'm just hoping. <laughs> what's that? 
I said, bless your heart. I'm, I'm just hoping the board situation doesn't change where I got to change my play when it comes to my turn. Yeah, That's sometimes the tactics shift. The, the ground shifts, and you go, oh, well, I'm not going to do that now. So. Well, I can't throw the sickening radiance anymore because Hawk's in the middle of them. Well, no, no, throw it. I'm fine. <laughs> he's resistant to all things. <laughs> yeah, not of exhaustion, he's not. Oh, <laughs> uh, funny. So really, uh, the kind of touch on one of the points that you made that is super important to the environment of the game is the level of description. And that is something that's going to get cut in a large scenario, big party like that. There's no way you're going to be able to properly describe big hits from the monsters, from the players. And because of that, you're struggling, you're using all your bandwidth to get through each turn as quickly as you can so other people aren't bored to tears, but it makes what's happening slightly less interesting. That's the trade-off. With that, of course, this also applies to how often you're playing. I feel like I have the broken record on this topic. So if you've got eight, ten players and you're playing all the time, well, you know what? I didn't get to do my thing Monday. We'll be back Thursday. That's fine. If we are playing once a month, I may have to get to do my thing for six months. Yeah. And that's the trade-off. Very true. And Tone, I would say, too, on top of that as well, it's the um, – because sometimes people might even think like, oh, well, maybe it's because of high-level play. You know, as you get to high level, you got all of these choices and options and spells and, and class abilities and summonings and all that. And that is absolutely true. You know, you have more things happening. But – like I said, one of the largest parties I ran, that eight, you know, seven, eight people, uh, it was actually Bonnie's family. I've talked about it before. Uh, and I started them all out at first level. It was when I was trying to start that kind of West Marches idea so we could all have a chance at the DM screen. And uh, even with first level characters, they didn't have a lot of choices to make. They didn't have a lot of hit points. So it's not like, I mean, they'd go down, a goblin hits them wrong, they're down, right? But it's still eight people doing something. So when you approach the keep, the old abandoned keep, you now have eight people because it's never tactical, right? They're never like, okay, so we're going to go in in formation, right? Like we did with the mass battle in Woodstock, right? We all had an idea. We're going to go like this. And then you had nine different units firing off in different ways that we all said was not what was going to happen, right? So It was just, glorious. Yeah, tactical brilliance, but that's D&D. So you're going to have eight people now going, I want to go around the back of the building. I'm going to go look in the river. I'd like to climb that tree. What does that flower look like? And you have to kind of adjust for all of those people. So even when not when it's not high level play, you know, so uh, that's I just want to make that little caveat. You know, it really reminds me of the Slavers Bay campaign where it's like the <laughs> running off to rob a house. I'm turning into I'm turning into animals and infiltrating the evil temple. Like you're like the, the party split. Everyone's in different places. How do you? Oh, do yeah. This? When you guys were in the town of Thrace, like you literally like I think the party was in like four different locations at one point, you know. <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, that's D&D, right? But yeah. Well, it's fun, but it does get harder to DM. And I would say, while that problem starts, those problems start at low level, they get exponentially bigger at higher level. So it isn't, you're right. It doesn't just start, it's not just a problem at higher level. But once people are making three attacks per round, once they're getting more complicated decisions to make, it gets even slower. Exactly. Like it's a problem that doesn't get better over time. It gets worse as you go up your, your power curve. Once at a blue moon, splitting the party's fine. You start splitting them up regularly, you're going to be running six plus games simultaneously, and then five, 
six, seven other people are standing around watching someone do something that they know nothing about. So I'm at the bar and I'm getting my bar peanuts here and my other players getting their heads smashed in <laughs> behind the temple. Do I get a Jedi premonition? Nope. I'm eating my peanuts. Mmm, these are tasty. That is one of some of the most fun things have happened. These I mean, that's that's what, ha- that's what happened to Cassidus, right? The the Emperor Palpatine turned from the one from the one guy he thought was his friend. That, 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 that was the for the making me thirsty. Like, no one was gonna, that needs to be said for the barbecue, I think. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then with a large party, there has to be a balance between turn etiquette and we don't want everybody to act like we're playing professional chess where it's like, all right, guys, you have 60 seconds for a move. Go. Okay, you're done. All right, next. Like, then that starts getting weird too, unless everybody's into that, but most tables are not. A chess clocks on the table could be interesting because it's not 60 seconds per move. It's you have 10 minutes or an hour for your entire game. And if you run out of time, you don't want to get to take turns. You lose the game. Oh, the monsters won oh, out of time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that is really, really interesting. Isn't because it? I have, yeah. I have done it where um, I dropped an egg timer, a little sand timer on the table. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about buttholes clenching. And people focus in real quick, sand timer, but a chess clock where you can you're clicking and you get you get X amount of time. Use it how you would like in your turn. That is an interesting almost like a have it be like a mini game or a mini encounter within the game, right? But a time when you really want the tension to ratchet up with eight people or something. Huh. How much time do you have to think about what you're doing? Yeah, I don't want to make a person chess clocks though. That'd be kind of interesting if they do. But if you wanted to test, if you wanted to, uh, I will say one, one, an easy way to see what this mechanic would work like a little bit, is just go to chess.com, play some ranked games against 10 minute games against other people. I do that. Actually, I play quite a bit there and you will get the feel for, cause when you're in a game where all of a sudden you've got two minutes left and the other guy's got six minutes left, that changes things. That game is very different now. <laughs> Oh, you're playing against the clock. Yeah, like in football. Yeah, yeah. that's a, just it's a, that just really made me think for a hot sec. Sorry, continue. Well, you know, it's <laughs> it's you know, creative ways to try to deal with these things. And maybe that's one of the things in the tool chest. I mean, so I feel like for me, if I'm talking about. All right, so what are all the things we're playing? We're playing Marvel. We're playing 5th edition. We're playing Call of Cthulhu. Uh, we're talking about a one shot in the white book, which I would love to do. So, Scott, if you're listening, come on, man. We're up for it. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking about the number of people we can have in a game. And, I'm like, I'm just thinking about all the different uh, the games we play. You know, comfortable tops out around six. Once you hit seven, things start to get tight. And I think going nine, ten, you know, to, to just to back up what Jedi Shocker saying, I think that's too many for most systems, unless you have a system that is super fast and super like, I mean, I'm sure there are some systems that are that, that you can run that more effectively in where it's more a quicker system and everyone can kind of engage a little quicker. But yeah, I'm thinking like for me, six is comfortable. Seven is pushing it. And beyond that, things get a little, little tight. What do you guys think? Is that about the number? I I think that's about right. Um, yeah, I, I've been in actual these scenarios where there's a lot of people floating around. And yeah, someone's getting up to make a drink. Someone's getting the food at the door. And then it's like, I'm trying to reveal this moment. And what do I have? Half the table there? It, I mean, that's another a big challenge. There's just yeah. always so much happening in your actual out-of-game space as well as your in-game space. So I, I guess the question there is, we're talking about the salute. So we don't recommend a 10-person party. So they're going to split this. 
What does that look like? Well, I think also if we take all of our games uh, through all the systems, too, and I think that that actually matters with systems, but it just takes just. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does, because I think Marvel and Cthulhu, you actually could run some larger groups. You probably want to not be doing it online, though. That's the biggest. That's your one of your biggest hurdles. You You want to be in person. If people are pairing up a little more. You know, especially yeah. if people are kind of doing things together and you can kind of work with groups instead of individuals. Yeah, but also it's like there's less things have. It's much more, especially Cthulhu, it's much more role play heavy than anything else. So that's a little different. But uh, but if you take all our games and I think the average tops at about five, I think if you took all of them and then take the mean, we're probably at about four, four and a half, five uh, in each game because we got like a seven. We got a six. We have two fives. Uh, we have, I don't think we have my, any fours. Except my, for your, no, your, your my, that's my Frost Maiden campaign. Because some people can make it some sessions, some can't. So yeah. I'm at like three, four. And I'll tell you, you want something that's lean and mean. It's like a tight sports car. You know, like it makes <laughs> turns on a dime, you know. So it really changes the dynamics because everyone gets a lot more screen time. Everyone is getting a lot more action and combat. Um and also some of the tension is there because they're not as powerful because, you know, the Curse of Strahd group rolls and there's six heavy hitters. I mean, there's only so much I can throw out before it's going to turn into a slog fest, you know, and that's OK sometimes. Like you guys are heading into a slog fest now for that reason, right? You're kind of going into the Frost Giants den. These giants? Um, yeah, we'll see. D- Dave's like, I'm sick of your shit. Here are all the giants. <laughs> here's nine. Uh, Fiddy, it's a, Fiddy, I, Fiddy I, is I, like, here's I, more bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's a war of attrition, you know. But um, but I, you know, you know that you're running into that slog. You just don't want it to happen, you know, every single time. That's the that's the hard part, you know. But with a smaller group, you know, four. Yeah, it it almost never happens. You can throw all the goddamn monsters out on the board, and it's still going to be running pretty quick. Well, that, that's one of the okay. aspects. That's one of the aspects of fifth edition. The more players you have, the easier the combat gets. Now that you can offset that by adding more monsters, you can you can adjust for it. But if you're running book stuff, four to be going from four to five to six is a huge difference. Yeah. Like six players are going to blow through something that four players almost die at. Yeah, so as you we said, it. you have to almost be doubling certain things, CRs and stuff, yeah. when you're dealing with six and plus six plus players. And the, you know? and the problem is, all that doubles the time you're spending. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if we're still going with the big party, we're not at, at the splitting of the party, and how the DM should address that in terms of prep. Right. I would say the first thing I'm throwing out the door, you could probably guess, is that battle map. And I love figs. I love them. I love them. Absolutely love them. But you look at a combat live on the table with a battle map. The next game I run for you guys, there's going to be no battle map. We will not be moving our figs across this poorly constructed graph paper fever dream nightmare that I drew out with a Sharpie marker. Oh, oh I was going to pick my to... fig for Zhang. That's what I'm saying. You don't need to do all of that. I mean, you just, you have an early seating and a later seating, just like at like a cruise, you know, like you have, <laughs> that's all. It's just, yeah. You, you can arrive at 4 p.m. Uh, you arrive at 7. Thank you. There, there are, the problem there is, and I've found, there is trying to strike the battle street. What am I drawing a map for, whether I'm doing it on Roll20 or live, versus people want a map to go to the bathroom. And the character's in the bar, like, where am I in here? Because this jackass is starting a bar fight now. We're on the battle map. 
No, they're called encounter maps. You use them for individual <laughs> encounters. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, fifth edition, at least I found in Roll20, and I've said this openly, I'll say it again. I love the idea of a dungeon crawl where you have a giant dungeon map you're crawling across, but it takes forever. It just takes forever, and you can't do it. I found we couldn't do it in fifth edition effectively. No, I mean, not a for, once a month is rough because we're like, okay, I'm all tur- I haven't played in five weeks. I'm all turned around. Where the hell are we? Have we explored this? It's open. Are we sure we explored this? I thought I heard a noise down there. No, it was d- down there. Oops. Um, no, I mean, the but point with this is not, not the crap of battle maps, but because, you know, we have people who construct some amazing stuff, but moving the players, moving them individually and trying to get them in positions and doing the tactics visually that absolutely slows the game down. You cannot tell me otherwise. Mm. It does. It's just, it's one of the things. And I think that, uh, like for me personally, like in, for instance, in the Frostman campaign, I brought back out my old flip mat and I've drawn out maps and I got pigs out there, you know, the pawns and all that. And I love that. I love the tabletop aspect of that. A lot of people do. You see, Tony, you just said some people build, you see online, but I mean, much less people in our own circle build amazing stuff and do amazing minis and stuff. And like, you want to play with that, but If you are, I think the takeaway from what you're saying is don't pull that kind of stuff out if you're running a giant party, you know, and if you are planning on running a giant party, you do, you probably are going to have to make some concessions with that type of stuff. One cheat I've done with this is I broke out the chessboard. I'm like, here you guys, you're fighting in a nice big cavern. There it is. Well, two. It's a, that's an excellent idea, actually. I think that's phenomenal because that's like your own little UDT thing. Uh, that's one idea. Small, actually. Yeah. The other is uh, Thor. I mean, because we were running it in the when we were still pre-COVID, uh, when we were meeting in person for Woodstock. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we had all kinds of terrain. Scott had done custom minis for the whole party. I mean, yeah. we had built stuff out. We were using the vegetable tray as the villains and the trees. So and. I didn't find that to be bogging it down in that way. What do you, what is your, what do you kind of remember from that? No, I agree. I mean, so, and that had a lot to do with the players at the table because that was a case where the DM, me, was not responsible <laughs> for putting the maps out. I was describing the situation. Scott, who had, like, he had brought flat terrain, basically, just, you know, not, 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 not 3D terrain, but just kind of printed terrain. But he threw it on the table and he put together basically what I described. They throw some things out there. At first, we were throwing out, cheese cubes and, ve- and vegetables and things like that and eventually i started bringing my minis collection and scott wanted to bring his minis collection between that there's a lot of minis a lot of <laughs> so now okay okay i'm gonna throw these guys out there but like i kind of when you can let the players handle it and the players are doing it as was the case here because it was easier for them to understand so that was part of the feedback was i have an easier time understanding it when i can see it on the map several players said that so there, so that was a situation where one, a player's handling it, so it's not extra time on the DM, and the player's doing it quickly. Scott's good at this. He gets, he's not slowing the game down and getting the terrain out there. And two, we had several players saying, "Look, your your descriptions are fine, but I can't follow that. I need to, I need to see it more visually." So in that case, I thought it worked really well, and it is a lesson in the limits of theater of the mind. Sometimes you have groups where you have players who do, who who are going to grok it easier if they can see it. And if you don't put it on the table for them to see it, they're going to keep asking you to re-explain it, which is going to take you even longer. So keep that in mind when you're talking about going full theater of the mind. Like 
in roll 20, it often saves time because we have an instinct to put out a battle map for anything. But at the table, when you're actually dealing with a real encounter with like a significant number of monsters, your players, my, the players in that group at least appreciated it. On the other hand, in uh, Call of Cthulhu, we barely use maps at all. Uh, occasionally, I, I pull them, I do pull them out of the books, but that group is a little more like they don't, they, they don't mind working theater of the mind as much and they follow easier what's going on, I think. With the, the battle maps, if you're going that direction, you have to be conservative with your creature types. Because then you have multiple things in initiative order, uh, you're tracking their abilities, and what happens is even if you know you're familiar with these monsters, you're probably not using them as effectively as you can. So then as a DM, you're kind of tripping a little bit over the coordination of all these different creature types, and if you're, God forbid, running like an NPC or something. And then, then like you're the old man me playing chess against yourself. <laughs> I will. I mean, I'm going to I'll I'm going to back right up to what you guys were just saying, because uh, it is even for experienced players, too. In the most recent Curse of Strahd game, uh, the party has uh, they are now attempting to track down Ilios from Storm King's Thunder fame. Um, they went to the plane of air. They then found out that he had gone out towards where these frost giant people reside in the frost fell. They went out there. So what I did was I lifted, as I often do when I kit bash, I lifted uh, the, the glacial rift of the frost giant Jarl right out of Tales of the Yawning Portal, the Against the Giants update. Um, I only took the second level of it, not the first, because so, I didn't want to make, as Thorin has had happen, you have a dungeon crawl that's going to last for the next six months. So it'll be October. We got our Halloween game when you guys leave yes! Ostfell, right? So I just took the second one, and it's not a massive map. So I said, you know what? I'll do it theater of the mind, and there's a couple caverns. Not too much is happening, and I'll have the big, you know, the final thing will be a map so that, you know, if there's more things happening, whatever, whatever. We had the first encounter. We ended when ogres and giants and, and all this rushed out to, to attack you guys because they were alerted. And one of the first things at the end of the game that some people said were like, hey, next time, can we have a map? Because once I said, oh, well, you have this, this and this coming out, you want to know where am I? Because even the even experienced players with good imagination and good spatial awareness, seeing it on the map, especially in 5e when distances count and radiuses and all that. Yeah. Sometimes you want that map. So, you know, go with, again, respond to, to between DM and player, like we always say. Yeah, that's true. And I think for when you're to roll 20 for for a battle that size, I think you want a map. Um, and yeah, because as is, you have, you know, you have the six players there. You have the, I believe you put out, what, seven, mon no, six monsters, I believe. Uh, so, well, like, yeah, what rushed out? What was it? Four, five, I think there's like six, an Oni, six or an seven? Oni, a Cloud Giant, and four ogres. Four ogres, yes, yeah. so far. Those ogres are not And like one them. dead Frost Giant guard. Lone <laughs> Smithers. Yeah, so, you know, we'll see. But, you know, but yeah, I mean, even sometimes you just need that map because you're like, where am I? What am I doing? Yeah. You know? Even though it might slow a larger game down a little bit more. Sure. Also, it it really depends on the players because some players do play faster with a map. Like I said, rather than having to ask you to, to repeat yourself. So you kind of got to play that by ear with your party. Now, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, streamlining for a lot of players, we talked a bit about that, but 
you know, once you're over this limit, once you've got 10 people who want to play, I mean, you know, Jedi Shocker is talking about splitting the party up and maybe doing it in two groups. What do you guys think about that? I would absolutely go that way. If you have the time to do that, both physically to show up for the game and to properly do two different groups justice. I mean, you're put in a tough position there. You have 10 people who want to play, which is great, but you can't shoot, put them all down there at one time. It's going to be just an explosion of people talking and trying to do things. Even if there are, they have table etiquette and, and, you know, they're, they're not like acting like they just ate half a pound of sugar each and running around the house while three people are trying to do stuff, which I've actually had the choice of experiencing and they weren't kids, but <laughs> and it wasn't sugar. <laughs> but I digress. But if you're going to have two campaigns and it's like if you have like this is my DM time pool and I'm running two half ass campaigns instead of one whole ass one, it's something to think about. It is a little tricky. I mean, because it kind of goes from if you're going to play weekly, you're basically going to go one campaign every other week. So each campaign becomes bi weekly instead of weekly, right? So, I mean, what's the thorn had done is keep, first of all, there's no effing way I'm reinventing two different worlds. There's one world, and maybe you're in two different spots on my world, and I got an idea of what's in this world. Work from there. Yeah. I uh, I think this is also a perfect time to play with, if you've ever wanted to play with it, um, the West Marches style, which we have talked at length about, and you can find a ton about online. It allows for the whole point was because there were multiple people that wanted to play all the time uh, or the brainstorm that we had the one time that led to the article about the cannonball run idea where you can have multiple parties. You can also have multiple parties if some of these people, they really want to play every single week, they might be able to. Not everyone else can. So you have different teams. You know, different players have different characters that they're bringing in different teams. You can you can swap it out in that way, too. And that way, it's all based in the one, the same world or the same, like in a cannonball run situation, the same prize, the same goal. You know, everyone is you're, you're on the same fetch quest. Who gets there first, you know? Well, and I think to keep it true to Jedi Shocker's question, I don't – the impression I have from his question is not that he's got people coming in and out. They sound like they have ten people who would like to play or nine right, people right. who would like right, to play yeah. week by week. And, you know, we actually have this problem a little bit ourselves. Although sometimes when you pull the people in, they're not always available. But we do have more players. We easily have ten players who would love to be playing games, you know. More um, frequently, yeah. Well, not just more frequently. We have people for, who aren't in the groups who would love to be in a D&D game. We have the guys who were in the Slavers Bay game. Several of them would love to be in true, a D&D &D, &D game still. Other friends from uh, Tony and my group would love to be in a D&D &D game. You know, you're you're uh, you're DMing your uh, you know, you're DMing Bonnie's friends. Mm -hmm. um, so they're in. But like we actually have a player pool that's probably closer to 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 20 than 10 if we want one. You know, it's just a matter of how much time can you make for the game. And that becomes a matter of the DM's time. So, you know, if we're talking about you have 10 players who always want to play and, you know, they're going to be reliably hit your biweekly or your weekly or whatever your timeline is. I'd put them in what I would do is I'd put them in the same world and it kind of have the same things going. So you're only managing one world to Tony's point. I think that's really a good idea. 
and then put them in like a, you know, put them in a group uh, discord or in a group chat or something where they can talk to each other about what's going on so they can compare notes. Maybe mm. two of them are exchange, have like, you know, sending stones or something so they can talk to each other and just keep each other appraised on what's going on. And then you can bring them together for an all-star for like a, uh, for the big finale, you can bring everyone together and do some cool stuff that way. And in that case, you know, if you're doing it one time, having 10 people is not going to be that big a deal. That's going to be the thrill of it. Right. Especially event. if you yeah. kind of have them competing or cooperating in a certain way, you can do some cool things with that. So I think that is a really good way to go about it. Um, but you're not going to have time to do other stuff. <laughs> you know, it's really all about the DM's time at that point. Can you manage two campaigns in the same world with the same people without wanting to go do other things that aren't that campaign? Which, of course, you know, if you've listened to us, you know, we play a lot of different campaigns. So we are not super locked into one campaign world 24 seven. We are all over the place, which is a yeah. blessing and a curse. Yes. I like being all over the place. I give me everything all at once. <laughs> so you're in a situation where you have 10 players. I am going to go out and say something truly audacious. I'd like to believe that one of those other 10 individuals can also run a game. Hmm. So seriously, yeah, our, that's a good our episode from just a couple weeks ago, because out of my player pool, honestly, half of my other players can absolutely run a game. But aren't, and you damn then, good at it. aren't you then splitting the group into two groups then instead of having one group? Well, that is you, you have a couple of different ways you can do that. You can just straight up and say, hey, how about you take these players? I think these players go or you do a collaborative thing between both DMs. You keep it in the one world. You have some guidelines between each other. Like going back to our episode with characters jumping in and out of campaigns. What are our treasure guidelines? Like what's an appropriate thing? So if he, this person plays over here, they're not effing up the world because they have a plus six sword. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Um, yeah, so like if you're going to do it that way, how do you keep those campaigns kind of together though? Are you thinking like it's something where, they, where each DM plays in one of the games? Well, you, you could, but I mean, also there is the fun of you could you could do a lot of different options. You could swap some players in and out periodically. You're mm -hmm. not stuck for life with those five characters. Maybe you switch. Maybe you do an adventure for each one. Um, maybe there's a point where they're captured and the other DM comes in and runs that scenario or vice versa, or you bring them all together. And then when they bring them all together, you have the one DM, but that one DM is then playing an NPC. I mean, you also the first one of the first things that popped in my head was uh, going back to our conversation about the the gentleman who was running the D and D club at his school, and it depending on your space requirements or not space requirements, depending on how much space you have, um, and you've got two people that can run a game and you want to run it in the same world, two DMs can be running two different groups in the same room that are both involved in some way, in some tertiary way between the two of them, you know, like I'll, I'll go with my, you know, like the cannonball run idea, just as a, mm -hmm. as a, as a way to talk about it, but like, and they're both actively happening in real time in the same room. If you like, I don't know your fucking garage, probably but you know, go rent a hall. I don't know. But I mean, that is like, you could really get crazy with it if you wanted to, but uh, any concept of trying to run nine or ten people uh, on a regular basis is you're you're asking for it to be um, probably to crash and burn. I mean, either you're going to burn out or people. I mean, think about 
How hard is it to schedule just the five and six person groups where schedules oh, get funky, right? And like we're pretty committed to be like, okay, Fridays is our game night kind of thing. Yeah. And even with that, now you got ten motherfuckers with schedules. Oh my god! Now, <laughs> I think I can actually perform act real magic feats than yeah. get a ten person yeah. game running consistently for any true length of time. You know, I think the trick to that is to set a time you all agree on and just count on everyone and That's expect, the create the expectation yeah. everyone's going to make the time at that time. Because, like, we do some where it's like we're going to play this weekend and not that weekend, but we still more or less play on the same dates. You know, it's expected. Yeah. You're Friday yeah. night, you're, you're, you're playing D&D Friday, and then once per month we play on a Saturday. And if you're in those games, you know, we're going to talk about this Saturday doesn't work, maybe that one does. But for the most part, there's the expectation that you're going to want to be in these games because yeah, I mean, you sure, need to, yeah. if you don't have players, if you don't have players who are willing to meet that expectation, you don't really have a game, you know, mm. the last second edition game that I ran, I, I mean, we had a big, pretty decent party. I mean, especially in the beginning, I think we were yeah. floating around eight people easily. And my, what was in my head was this is when this is happening. And it would take, X amount of people for me to call missing to call off a game. So someone's got to work super late last yeah. minute. Um, somebody's kids sick. I mean, there's a million reasons why. Okay. You know what? I will see you next game. Then this gets to the debate. Do you punish these players for missing? No, you do not. You have to met them feel like they have fallen behind. Now, do I feel the, pe- the person who shows up to every game should probably have the shiniest sword? Maybe, but you don't want to have people feel like there's no way I can catch up. This sucks. And they're just perpetually looking uh, back. Or, mm. yeah. And that's well, no yeah, the, I mean, yeah, the fear of missing out to work with there, too. So, I mean, there's a punishment just in not being at the game and not knowing what happened and not being a part of it. You know, that in itself is a if that's not an incentive to the player, that player is not very well invested anyway. But for your good players, that's going to be incentive to be there. You don't need to do mechanical penalties or or rewards. You just, you, you know, they're going to want to be there. They're going to want they're going to want to be part of the game. That's less obnoxious with the milestone mechanic, fortunately. Previously, we're all about, I'm sorry you didn't grind X amount of monsters to absolute bone meal, so you cannot advance to the level. All right, all right, hold on, hold on. We got it, we got it. You actually got called out on this on the Facebook post <laughs> from the five from the things DD fifth edition picks. In second edition, and I believe in first edition too, grinding monsters was not the only way characters made XP. Oh, they found treasure too. Oh, how okay, yeah. No, every every character had very specific had very specific XP bonuses. The fighter got XP bonuses for the hit dice the monster defeated. Rogues got XP bonuses for the gold piece value found. I think wizards got it for like the spells they cast. Every individual so class got monster XP and also bonus XP. Majority of their XP came from that. Actually, as I remember, the majority of their XP came from the treasure. I do remember. I, I do remember in my games a lot of the XP came from the treasure. It could. Depending on what you were given, but I, I mean, guess saying, talking... someone someone did call us out a lot on Facebook, and he's right. That was I remember that vividly in second edition, and I believe it was that way in first edition too. Like your monster XP was part of it, but then you also had the bonuses, which were going to be more than half of your XP. Mm, but I mean, that is we stopped giving treasure XP, I believe, in second edition. I think that was specifically if you want to get down to the real technicality. Let me be technical. Let me put my technical hat on. Here it is. Thieves got treasure XP in second edition. That was it. Mm. So wizard. So after you got out of first edition D&D, 
that was no longer the case. In second edition D&D, if you were a rogue, I believe it was treasure stolen. No, and it, uh, that is all of that is true. Or and we also, the, someone also made the point that Milestone has been around since like three and three five. The difference being, uh, in my opinion, just from seeing some of these things, is in fifth edition, it's become much more the norm than the, it's, it's much more the rule than the exception uh, with Milestone. And a lot of things are based on that. Even the adventures themselves are based on Milestone leveling. So, you know, I think it's more fifth edition has really pushed that idea of Milestone. So for well, someone coming from second into it, it could seem like a little bit of a revelation. <laughs> well, Some I mean, of the things that are new for fifth edition are less new rules innovations and more cultural changes. Yeah. You know, it's more what people want out of the game and more how they present the game than things that, like, they came stuff up with. Was around. Yeah, stuff was around, but it wasn't necessarily focused in on. In so, but, you know, when you're acquiring a treasure back in first edition, how did you do that? You got that from <laughs> grinding monsters to dust. You Maybe. killed them and then took their treasure. <laughs> this is much more story focused. I do appreciate that people True. have read the article to at least has say, hey, I don't know about that, but yes, yeah, I, I did get, it did get read. It got responses. Some of them are on Facebook, and Tony DM Tony is not on Facebook, so he doesn't Sorry. see it. <laughs> That's not my universe. I, I was banned for a hundred years. I was killed there. Yeah. <laughs> but we are a bit far afield at this all point. My, it's an all my exes live in Texas kind of situation. <laughs> they may be on Facebook. What can I say? I may log into Facebook and see like 199, you know, missed uh, private DM. I'm like, no, I don't want any of that. No, thank you. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, if you're going to do this, so, so we've talked about how to do the split up. We've talked about kind of where the limits are. We've talked about kind of how to, how to run our tips for running large games as, as we have them. Although there is still just the, the, the problem with it, which is just, it does slow things down. If you're going to run a 10 person game, don't expect to get through a lot of rooms. Yeah. You're not going to have a lot of encounters. You're going to have one to three oh. encounters. Yeah, that's tough. Or is I, that I mean, called, that's what a Woodstock Wanderers game. It's just too, that's too big. It's too big. It's too big. Because, I mean, think of the initiative counter. You got 10 players. I mean, you have one monster. That's already 11 initiative counts. <laughs> I mean, just – and one monster. Like, who are you going to throw out? It always has to be Tiamat, like, every time. Like, that's oh, all. Tiamat. That's all you fight. You just fight fucking aspects of Tiamat for the next 20 levels. Like, oh, my God. The dragon game. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, if that's really your player expectation, where they're down for that, where they want to come in, run a couple of encounters, and then bounce, then that is perfectly fine. But I guarantee you there's some players floating around who are like, wow, we have been at this for a while. Can we move on? <laughs> Would that be possible? So, all right, guys, we've been talking about this for a little while. So let's get to some final thoughts on DMing large parties and how can you split them up and make that work effectively? Well, a very large party is you have added a lot of bandwidth. You're under pressure to properly describe your encounters. Uh, to make sure that each player gets screen time because you have dominant players versus your wallflowers and very, very easily some other characters get foreshadowed. There will even be a challenge making sure everybody's watching what you're doing, DMing at points because there's other people undoubtedly moving in and out of the room, whether you're online, um, so forth and so on as far as who, who actually can be invested in that kind of environment for any length of time. Combat can be very tricky. Um, and you want it to flow, but you also don't want to be like, okay, go, 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 you go, your turn, stop, you go. And um, 
balances would need to be struck by that. I would be in favor of splitting that into two groups where you could properly DM two five-person games, but you have to have the bandwidth for that where you're not like going to be pulling your hair out but four games down the road. And as I said previously, out of 10 possible players, I guarantee you a couple of them could probably DM that group and maybe you two can collaborate and work together. Yeah, I'll go back the you know the earliest editions of the game. You can go back and find like the PDFs and stuff. And I believe it does say five to fifty players. The game is designed for. You know that's just uh, that's how they used to do it back then. I guess I don't know. And like I said, Scott had said that he I think it was twenty two, twenty two or twenty five. He he ran an adventure for. So you know it was not unheard of back then, but. These days with 5th edition, it's uh, it's much more unheard of. We talked about a lot of things. One of the things you definitely could play with uh, that West Marches or Cannonball Run kind of idea. Uh, I keep throwing that out just because I can't wait for somebody to come back and be like, hey, I tried it and it's awesome and here's what we did. <laughs> but Because I tried to get one off the ground, it didn't work. And I will say when you get past 6 is really pushing it. Uh, it has to be a really good group because even a good group six can be hard. And what starts to happen, and I, I, it just kind of came to me to make this this distinction, it's like you become instead of being the producer of the because I don't feel like you're really the storyteller and you're not the director because you're not telling people what to do. You're the producer. You're kind of creating the world. You're creating the vision of it, and then they're playing in it. So. The smaller groups, four, five, six, maybe, you can be more of a producer where six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifty, um, you're a stage manager at that point. You're running around, you're fushing with lights, you're messing with the curtains, you're making sure people are on their cues. You're not really able to experience the game as a DM in the same way, I think. And I and I think we could sometimes lose that. That the play that we get is the ability to have that back and forth with players. And if you get too large, I think you can really lose that. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so uh, for my final thoughts, I don't know. I would still consider the DM the director, but I think we're kind of splitting hairs there. You know, it's the director. The the players get their script input, but we're still, you know, (laughs) here's the adventure I brought to the table. And then the players can take their characters in the directions they want. You know, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not asking for, for reshoots on the character. Um, so I've run big games before and uh, you know, it works a little better in some other systems. Uh, fifth edition is not the ideal system for it. Some of the other systems, like, I mean, Dave was saying, call Cthulhu might work out. Okay. Especially when a lot of your game is the characters role playing back and forth amongst each other, you know, then it might be a little more effective, might even be better because more players is more instigators. Right. But I do think with fifth edition, you know, six to seven is about where you start hitting your limit on being able to get things done. And seven is pushing it. Your ideal number is probably more like four to five. Uh, so going back to second edition, you know, it was a little easier to run things, to, to run a larger party, but it still had problems. You know, it's still not always ideal. And the bigger the room gets, the more you're dealing with people walking off on their own, you know, talking, having their own conversations, having to like, you know, basically, you know, you start turning into the babysitter of, okay, Hey guys, guys, eyes on me, you know, (laughs) and that stuff starts happening a lot more. So, you know, keeping it a little smaller is probably better. I would say if you're going to run a big game, uh, try to keep it lively. Keep in mind, not everyone's catching everything. So you're going to need to do some repetition on their turns. And uh, one actually tip I would have is try to schedule breaks for people to get up because you'll find when you have like a bigger game, people are more like, oh, I just got to run to the bathroom. And they run to the bathroom. And you're like, 
I'll give you a break every hour and a half and maybe we can just all kind of take 10 and I refresh and, you know, and I, I catch up to what I had to do and you guys can disappear then, but maybe don't disappear when I'm describing the big bad guy. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> Guilty. That is, that is, that Guilty is not sometimes. the experience the DM is looking for. Um, I do like the idea of splitting it, especially if you have the bandwidth to kind of put together something interesting, because there's some neat things you can now do with that two-party axis. You can have them cooperate with each other. You can have them taking on different aspects of the bad guy. You can have them communicating with each other and sharing secrets. So everyone's finding out, you know, maybe they put the plot, maybe, maybe they still work together outside the game to put the, to put the scheme together, but they come in and they play with a smaller group. And on the other hand, you can have them go against each other. And there's really, that can be a very fun, although perhaps emotionally fragile night to have the one group come in. And High the risk. Other... <laughs> Don, you've done that before, haven't you? Oh, uh, yeah. High risk. Trust me <laughs> on this. They can think that it's great or they can hate each other in real life. Just word of caution there. And I mean, but that's part of what you can pick up with it when you're splitting into two groups. Maybe one of the groups decides to join the bad guy. Might happen, you know. Uh, you have all of a sudden there's a lot more variables in play. These groups can be friendly or not, depending on how they want to handle things. You know, it's uh, it adds a level of interest if you can make it work. So I do think that's a good I do think that's a good solution. Although I would try to keep them, assuming you're dealing with a group of friends who want to play with each other, I'd split it and then try to give them an access where they can still talk to each other and play together outside of the game room. So group discuss chat, you know, maybe put something together, maybe make some of them siblings or partners and split them up so that they have reason to keep in touch with each other. Something to keep the group together because one of the things that's great about D&D is this group dynamic of we're all friends who wants to play together. And when you start splitting it up, you want to try to keep that dynamic. I think you want to keep people feeling like they're all involved in the same group rather than you don't want there to be an A and a B group, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, that's, I think it's, you know, it's great to have more players and you can, and <laughs> you can fit in a group. And I think it's great to figure out uh, new ways to, new ways you can handle them. It can be a lot of fun. So Jedi shocker, good luck. Uh, I, I do endorse Tony's idea of, you know, seeing if someone else can help you DM some of this stuff. Cause it might help you get more games going or and get games, you know, get better games going, but I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. It's uh, the more the merrier. So long as you can manage the rules. All right, guys. Sounds good. That's the more the merrier. We're up into the 90s soon. We're coming up on episode 100 not too long from now. Oh, boy. Cracking them along. Been doing this for uh, almost two, about two years now. Oh, my God. That's insanity when you think about yeah, it. That's madness. This is madness. We have, we have, we've gone far down. We, we, this, that way lies madness, and we have gone far in that direction. And we haven't even, we're still not done talking. So keep sending in the questions, man. Yeah, no, we, we we're, we're not done talking at all. We love, we love helping you with your stuff. So, guys, thank you very much for doing another episode with me. And all of you listening from home, thank you very much for catching another episode of Three Wise DMs. This was a listener question, and we love taking listener questions. So, if there's anything we can help you think about, help you work through in your own game, please. Send it in. You can send it to threewisedms at gmail.com. You can go to our website, threewisedms.com, and put it in the What's Your Problem field. Or you can talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're active on all those places. This actually came through as an Instagram message, just, just for example. So we love getting your questions. Please send them in, and we'll do our best to cover everything we can. If you like what you're hearing, hit the five-star rating button on your podcast platform of choice. That does a lot to help us get the word out and grow the audience. We really appreciate that support. That's it for this week. Catch you next time on Three Wise DMs.